BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom gave his annual State of the State address last night and used the speech to push back against critics who say California is careening out of control under his leadership. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer was there. At the very start of his speech, Newsom acknowledged that with the war in Ukraine and the world in turmoil, his speech didn't amount to a hill of beans. I don't imagine there are many people outside of these walls waiting on the words that will be said here tonight. The governor noted that a million new jobs have been created in California over the last 12 months, but he acknowledged the pain people feel from record high prices at the pump, saying he'll propose a tax rebate to help ease the burden. And that's why working with legislative leadership, I'll be submitting a proposal to put money back in the pockets of Californians to address rising gas prices. But Newsom also pushed back on the idea of increasing oil and gas supply by repeating what he called mistaken policies of the past. By embracing polluters, drilling even more oil, which only leads to even more extreme weather, more extreme drought, and more wildfire. With polls showing homelessness being among voters' top concerns, Newsom touted his proposal to create so-called care courts in every county, where people with severe mental health problems can be compelled into treatment under certain circumstances. But he offered no new details. Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Scott Wilk, says he's open to the new idea, but is skeptical because of what he says is the failure of Newsom's approach so far. He's spent $17 billion since he's been here. Homelessness in the state's gone up 24 percent. So what he's done hasn't worked with this, you know, housing first. Republican State Senator Brian Daly, who's running for governor this year, says Newsom has had too much unilateral power granted during the pandemic, and it's time to return to more normal governing. We need to stop the state of emergency. We need three branches of government, not just one. In light of what's happening in Ukraine, Newsom said it was a good time to appreciate the best parts of our imperfect democratic system. A moment to reflect on what it means to live in a society where elected elected leaders still settle our disagreements, by and large, with civility and compromise. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in Sacramento. As we continue to hear and see the harrowing stories coming out of Ukraine, we're talking to Californians with connections to the region who are trying to help. One of them is Patrick Kolishinsky, an immigration attorney now based in Modesto, but originally from Poland. Kolishinsky returned to Poland last week to help Ukrainian refugees arriving in the country with legal issues and other assistance. I talked with him yesterday as he walked in Warsaw. I started by asking Kolishinsky about how his mission started. 
I found myself kind of accidentally leading a group of now about 600 immigration lawyers from around the country who all kind of got together on Facebook to see what we could do. We didn't really know what was going to happen there. We wanted to share some information, but we knew that there would be a need for our services. That was started right after the invasion and kind of grew. And I came out here to see what we could do about helping people who can come to the United States actually do that. Along the way, I ended up uh, getting connected with a group that wanted to bring relief supplies. So we brought those over. And I'm making some ties between the U.S. and Warsaw legal systems and just kind of laying the groundwork for helping out as we can. Hmm. So I assume you have a lot to do in the coming days. Uh, You may be trying to formulate your plans even as we speak. But what will you be trying to do? Who will you be trying to reach out to in terms of Polish authorities or Ukrainian authorities? What's your plan? It's been dynamic. It changes by the minute every day, is my guess. I've, uh, I have meetings with the head of the Warsaw Bar Association and with the lead nonprofit here in Warsaw, the Ukrainian House, that is working with the Ukrainian refugees. In the past few days, I've met with a group of lawyers here who are gathering resources and are helping people with their Polish legal issues. And uh, a bunch of refugees by themselves throughout the day. I, I come across groups that have ties to the United States and I'm connecting them with those lawyers back in the U.S. that want to help. Hmm. So if you meet Ukrainian refugees who say, I really want to go to the United States, I really want to go maybe to California, what can you and your, and your associates do in the short term? So if they are otherwise eligible to come to the United States, that is, they have a, a spouse or a parent or an adult child who is a resident or citizen of the United States, there's a lot we can do. There, basically, it's the usual immigration process, only there are ways that we can expedite it and facilitate it so that they get back, get into the United States sooner. There's a lot of people who were just in the usual process before the war happened, and so we're helping them coordinate as their immigration process was moved from Kiev to Frankfurt or Dublin, or for some of them Toronto, and, and getting them through that system. For people who don't have any ties to the United States, there's not much I can do. The immigration system does not provide much for them other than the global refugee system, and that is not something that attorneys get involved in and really the odds of being assigned to the United States under that refugee system are tiny with the reduced refugee numbers that we have. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who in some way want to help Ukraine. I mean, you've helped in a very tangible way by by actually traveling to Europe to offer your services and your knowledge. Do you have any suggestions just from what you've learned in the short time that you've been on the ground there? There are a couple of things. We definitely need lawyers, although we have most lawyers kind of working on this together already. We need doctors. Doctors are very, very much needed here. And if any doctors can hear this and can manage to take some time off and help out here, there is a huge, huge medical need. It's safe. You're going to be in Poland. No one's going to attack you. And there is a huge need for medical supplies. Europe is Europe. It's phenomenally well supported, but there's been a run on medical supplies. And so we are working on getting medical supplies shipped into here. Bandages, combat medical supplies, uh, trach tubes, whatever can be sent and specifically doctors and nurses, are very, very, very much needed. Everywhere I go, that's what people are asking for, is please send us doctors. That was Modesto-based immigration attorney Patrick Koloszynski, who's in Poland helping Ukrainian refugees. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. With gasoline prices at record levels in the state and President Biden announcing a ban on the importation of Russian oil to the U.S. in response to the invasion of Ukraine, we're going to talk about energy this morning with Severin Bornstein. He's a professor of business at UC Berkeley and is one of the leading authorities on energy markets. Professor, thanks for joining us. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. With gasoline prices at record levels in the state and President Biden announcing a ban on the importation of Russian oil to the U.S. in response to the invasion of Ukraine, we're going to talk about energy this morning with Severin Bornstein. He's a professor of business at UC Berkeley and is one of the leading authorities on energy markets. Professor, thanks for joining us. Happy to be with you. All right, so let's talk about this ban on Russian crude first. Uh, the U.S., including California, only gets about 3% of its petroleum from Russia. So is turning off the spigot from that country really going to have much of an effect on California? And how will refineries make up for that loss? Well, it is a very small amount of crude oil relative to what we process every day. And so it's not going to have much effect Unfortunately, it won't have much effect on Russia either if that's all that happens worldwide. The hope is that this is going to grow into a larger banning of Russian imports in Western Europe and other parts of the world. And that could have a real effect on Russia by making it more difficult for them to sell their oil or for, to sell it at a lower price. The example we have from when we did a similar thing with Iran in 2010, and it turned out to be very effective. They did manage to still sell some of their oil to China, but at a deep discount, which lowered their revenues. The effect in California of the U.S. ban on Russian imports is going to be hard to even notice in prices relative to the overall just increase in crude oil prices. It's a small amount and can be pretty easily replaced. What's going on really right now is that crude oil prices have gone way up because there's concern that Russian oil generally will be taken off the market. And since they produce about 10% of world supplies, that would be a big hit to the supply in the market. The concern that that will happen is what's driving up crude oil prices now, even though Russia so far has been able to continue to sell its oil. 
Hmm. You know, as we speak this morning, the average price of a gallon of regular gas is now over $5.50 here in California. I know you don't have a crystal ball in front of you, but how much higher should we expect to see those numbers go? Unfortunately, it's it's really very difficult to tell. It depends entirely on whether Putin decides to push forward with his invasion of uh, Ukraine or to pull back. If he did decide this isn't worth the losses and to declare victory and withdraw, uh, oil prices would drop dramatically and gasoline prices would follow within a few weeks. On the other hand, if he continues to push into Ukraine and manages to actually uh, defeat the Ukrainian resistance, we are very likely going to move towards a large-scale worldwide uh, reduction in uh, sales from Russia. And that means that the price of oil is likely to stay high for a very long time because replacing all of Russia's production would be very difficult and would not happen quickly. So in that, I think, fairly likely scenario, we're likely in for prices over $5 a gallon for a long time to come. You know, Californians uh, are paying more for their gasoline than people in other states. And that often happens, right? When there's a spike in gasoline prices, Californians tend to pay more. Why does that happen? Californians are paying more, but the differential has not gotten larger than it was a month or two ago. Um, We do pay much higher prices because we have higher taxes and environmental fees and an extra, what I call a mystery gasoline surcharge, an extra 30 cents or so that we pay that appeared in 2015 and hasn't been fully explained. I think that's something that the state should be looking into. And that's a place where the state could potentially affect gasoline prices if the problem is competition in the California market. Unfortunately, there's really nothing the state can do about crude oil prices. And we choose to have higher taxes and the cap and trade program and other environmental fees in order to represent the real damage that is done when we burn gasoline. So those are just part of the fact that California is very environmentally oriented and is trying to make the price of gasoline really reflect the cost of it. And then the last little bit is we burn a cleaner burning fuel than the rest of the country. We use a different formulation and that adds probably another five or 10 cents a gallon to the cost. In response to high gas prices, there have been calls to roll back the gas tax, uh, rev up uh, new drilling. Uh, We heard some of that from Governor Newsom last night, at least in terms of relaxing the gas tax a bit. What do you think when you hear those kind of ideas put on the table? Are, Are they feasible to do? Well, they're feasible to do. I think they'd both be bad policy. The gas tax is there for a reason. It pays for lots of the infrastructure we need, and it helps represent the real damage that uh, is inflicted when people burn gasoline and create congestion on roads and so forth. So in our research, we've actually found that the gas tax is still less than all of those effects that people have, what we call externalities, when they burn gasoline. As far as drilling for more oil, there's a world market for crude oil. Even if California did produce an extra 10 or 20 or 50% of California's current production, it would have a very tiny effect on the world price of crude oil. And that's what drives the price of gasoline everywhere, including in California. 
So we cannot produce more crude oil in California in a way that would noticeably affect gasoline prices. Some electric vehicle advocates think this might be a real pivot point for the even wider adoption of EVs. Do you see that happening, particularly if gasoline prices are $5 or more a gallon? Yeah, higher gasoline prices are definitely going to peak interest in electric vehicles as an alternative. That is one of the things people can do to uh, fight against these high uh, gas prices. And getting off oil would have other big advantages, one of which is it would reduce, help reduce the world demand for crude oil. And doing that would help reduce the price and means that less funds would flow to Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, and other countries that are antagonistic towards democracy, uh, and towards uh, our system. Yeah, I guess the real challenge there is just making EVs affordable enough, right, for more people. Well, yeah, and California has a real problem there because EVs are more expensive, but electricity is also uh, very, very expensive in California for reasons that don't really affect, reflect the cost of providing the electricity. It's that we're paying for a lot of programs through our electricity prices, and that's discouraging electrification. And Professor, do you have any just kind of street-level advice for California consumers right now as they confront high gas prices? People who are impacted by high gasoline prices can do some things to reduce the impact. And the primary thing you can do right away is shop around for cheaper gasoline because there is huge price dispersion between stations, even sometimes on the same block, where there's 50 or 75 cent a gallon differentials. Go to the cheaper station. That not only will help save you money, but it will put pressure on the expensive stations to lower their prices. And so we can get a more competitive market in California if we are willing to shop around more. California is notorious for having drivers who don't shop around very much, which is part of why we don't have as many off-brand stations as the rest of the country does. And that means that there isn't as much competitive pressure on the stations. All right. That is energy expert Severin Bornstein of UC Berkeley. Professor Bornstein, thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Nice to be with you. Starting next Monday, Los Angeles County will align with the state to allow K-12 through students to go maskless when they're inside classrooms. Now, the LA Unified School District has been reluctant to make face coverings optional, but a new survey shows some parents are ready to see the nation's second largest school district's mask requirements loosened. KCRW's Tara Atrian has more. An education advocacy group called Parents Supporting Teachers spoke to more than 2,500 L.A. Unified households. It found that nearly 60% of parents were comfortable with switching to optional masking for kids. Jenna Schwartz is the founder of the grassroots organization. She says even though most respondents were from higher income districts, some of the findings were surprising. There was a lot of conversation in our group about having elementary students stay masked because their rate of vaccination is much lower than secondary students. But the survey says that more elementary school parents were comfortable switching to optional masking. When breaking down the data, substantially more parents with unvaccinated kids preferred masks to be optional than those whose children were immunized. And mask wearing isn't the only COVID protocol parents are fine with doing away with. The survey found that 40% of parents were okay with the district stopping testing for the virus at the end of the month. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. 
And that is the California Report for Wednesday, March 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.